We are in a series called The Whole Shebang, and I'm going to tell you in just a moment why I asked you to do that whole kind of deal. Uh, we are in this series looking at the entire year, looking at the whole shebang, the grand epic, grand story of God. And what we're seeing in the Old Testament is that there are two central stories. There's the Exodus story, which basically the first half of the Old Testament is centered around that story. Then there's the exile story, and the second half of the Old Testament is centered around that uh, story. The exile is the story of the people of God being removed from their own place, uh, and it was, it was, it was the, the majority of the prophets are speaking about this one particular event in the Old Testament, and it is pretty difficult to overstate the significance of the exile in the story of the people of God. Last week we looked at the 350-year journey that led up to the, uh, to the exiles, it was referred to it as the divided kingdom, that this was a journey where the, uh, the Israelites were divided into the north and the south, uh, Israel and Judah, and that, that it is internal division that so often leads to our demise. And what happens with internal division is we start to think that the people that we are to be in relationship with, that we start to think they are the enemy. And it was a reminder last week that your spouse, your parents, your kids, your boss, they are not the enemy. May we not fall into this uh, divided kingdom, this internal division uh, piece. And so now today... We are looking at what we're calling pre-exile. And how many of you with a show of hands have been ex- incredibly excited simply with the riveting title of pre-exile? Let me see how many liars. Lie, you're lie. Okay, okay, it's a couple of you maybe, I believe. But today we are looking at the final stages of the story that were leading up to this event called the exile. Next week, we're going to talk specifically about the exile and what happened uh, in around that time. But right now, we're looking at the final stages. We're looking at some of the things that the prophets told the people of God. It was a message from God through the prophets. And we're going to see how that can have some kind of effect on the exiles, the, the uh, places in our lives that we don't want to go, the exiles in our own life. What kind of things can we hear as we approach um, some parts of our lives that we don't want to get to. As we move towards that, I want to I show you a, a quick little uh, video clip that I, help, I think will help set the tone here. So do we have this video clip available here this morning? If you would, please. Oh, my goodness. This is, this is embarrassing. This is, I must have brought the wrong tape. Uh, this is, this is not what I, oh, this, I'm so sorry, this is, I, I quickly just grabbed a tape on the way in this, but you can cut that off, that's not, I, I'm sorry, that, I, I, I intended to grab a clip from a movie, and oh my goodness, I, oh, I'm so embarrassed, I sure hope I don't make that mistake in the second service too, wow, uh, anyway, would you allow me to pray and ask for your forgiveness, okay. Uh, hey, let's, let's pray, and then I promise I'm all done with hockey. Okay, let's pray. God, we want to enter into your story here today. We want to, uh, we want to hear from you. And uh, just as this series is titled Being Transformed by this grand story, God, we don't want to just learn uh, facts and dates or anything like that. God, 
we invite you to use this incredible story to continue to be a part of, of our lives. This part of the Old Testament is often a part that, that many of us don't spend much time in. And so, God, I pray that you would bring uh, enlightenment here, that you would stir our hearts, that you would stir our minds to engage with what you have for us here today. We believe that you are in the business of life transformation, and we are in need of help here this morning. Come, in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Hey, I want uh, to invite you to go to 2 Kings chapter 17, which is where we are today. 2 Kings chapter 17. And I want to, uh, to lay out for you just, a, just a, a little picture of what the exile is. As I said last week, the nation of, of Israel was divided into the north and the south, and the exile actually happened in two parts. The exile happened first in the north and then second in the south. In the north, it was the year 722 B.C. when the Assyrians took over the north and, uh, and they uh, got exiled to other places. And then in 587 B.C., the, uh, it happened in the south from Babylonia. Babylonia came in and took over the south. Now, the south was the bigger deal for the Israelites because that's where Jerusalem was. And so this was kind of the, the, the culmination of the exile because the city of God, the city of David had been overrun, had been taken over, the, the temple had been destroyed, and, and everyone had been exiled. This was the main uh, part of the exile story. And it is in between the north and the south that we see this story here in 2 Kings chapter 17. I want to begin with verse 6. It reads, in the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria, which is in the north, and deported the Israelites to Assyria. He settled them in Halah, in Gozan, on the Hebar River, and in the towns of Medes. So this here is, this one verse captures the story of what happened in the north. The Assyrians came and took over the northern kingdom. It's one verse, but it is a huge part of the Hebrew story. We continue in verse 7. All this took place because the Israelites had sinned against the Lord their God who had brought them up out of Egypt from under the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. This is the Exodus story. They worshipped other gods. Jump to verse 12. They worshipped idols. Though the Lord had said, you shall not do this, the Lord warned Israel and Judah through all his prophets and seers. Turn from your evil ways. Observe my commands and decrees in accordance with the entire law that I commanded your fathers to obey and that I delivered to you through my servants, the prophets. But they would not listen and were as stiff-necked as their fathers who did not trust in the Lord their God. They rejected his decrees and the covenant he had made with their fathers and the warnings he had given them. They rejected the warnings God had given them. They rejected the warnings God had given them. What we're talking about this morning, which is connected to the exile story, part two here, is we're talking about the warnings of God. When God gives us a warning. Now let me just tell you right, right off the bat that a warning is a good thing. A warning is a good thing because it leaves room for change. It leaves room for transformation. That's what I talked about in, in, the, in the prayer. This series is about transformation. And a warning happens before the inevitable. A warning allows room for change. A warning is different than a threat. You see, God doesn't threaten 
us. He doesn't threaten his people. A threat says you better do that, and a threat really doesn't have an option, right? I mean, a threat says, says, says my response is that I am forced toward one particular place. This has to happen. A warning says you have an option. You have an option before you. And so the, then we have the choice to be, to be able to make decisions um, uh, in, in this journey. God doesn't threat. He warns. And this morning we're talking about warnings. Now, the people who gave warnings in the Old Testament, they were referred to as prophets. And the prophetic writings are some of the most difficult writings in Scripture for, for many folks. For many of you who have been reading your Bible, my guess is that the second half of the Old Testament probably has the most pristine pages in your Bible. These are the pages that are not nearly as wrinkly. They don't have nearly as much saliva on the corner of them uh, from the turning that happens with the, with the prophetic writings. They're harder to read, uh, frankly, because a lot of them are, are weird. A lot of the stuff that's happening in, in, the, in the prophetic writings are weird. And there was a time where, where Isaiah walked around naked for three years as a part of the message that God had through him for the people. Just be thankful this morning. That's not the message God has for... for for our church, for our place? I mean, three years naked. I mean, that's just a little... Because God told him to. And then there's Ezekiel, and there's, he lay on his side for a number of months, and there's a time where Ezekiel ate food that was cooked over human excrement. And this was, yeah, and this was a part of the deal. This is, it's kind of odd, it's kind of oh, strange to read some of these things in, in, the, prophetic, in the prophetic writings. The, um, the, uh, the understanding in, in, English, in English, the concept of, of prophecy or of, of a prophetic deal, is that it is future telling. It is a prediction of what will happen in the future. That's often the way we would see a, a prophetic concept. But that is a very small portion of what the prophetic writings are. Less than 8% of our prophetic writings are about foretelling of the future. Instead, they are about warnings. It's not about an inevitable future. It's about an avoidable future. And that that the prophets that God has sent us uh, were a part of the Israelite history. They were saying, we want you to avoid this future. We want you to make choices that will steer you away from the place that you're headed. We want to give you a warning. As I said before, a warning is a good thing. A warning is a good thing. Think about the natural disaster movies. Ten years ago or so, they were so popular. You know, they they made up natural disaster movies about every possible conceivable disaster that could happen. And 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 in all these movies, like you know. The frost. Uh, there was what would happen if a frost came over everything. Ah! And uh, in all of these movies, there is a Jeff Goldblum type character who uh, who gives the warning and says, "I I, I don't think uh, that's a good idea." And uh, there's going to be a character like that who brings that warning uh, against. What could happen? And everyone ignores that person, right? Everyone kind of says, "No, no, no," and that builds the tension in the movie. And then about 45 minutes in, I mean, it's the same story. That, that role, that Jeff, Gold, Jeff Goldblum is like 
the picture of, 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 of a prophet. It's, it's a prophet without the spiritual ang- angle on that. A prophet is the one who brings the warning, and so often we don't listen. And so the message that we see as we look at the, uh, at the Old Testament story as they were moving towards the exile is how are we going to respond to the warnings that God gives us? How are we going to respond to the warnings that God gives us? And so uh, what happens in the, uh, in, in the, with regard to hearing a warning is that if you're courageous enough to say, okay, I want to ponder how I'm going to respond to the warnings of God, then one has to think about well, where are these warnings going to come from? What is, the, what is the appropriate path in terms of how God is going to warn his people? How does he continue to warn you? Warnings are a good thing. How do the warnings land in your world, in your family, in your life? How do they get there? I believe there's, there's three ways that warnings land for us. Number one is Scripture. Through the written word. That there continue to be clarity in terms of the warnings that God has for us. There's a lot of interpretation that needs to happen in terms of Scripture. Yes, and there are gray areas and some are going to understand different things at different points. But there is so much clarity in Scripture. We can debate the gray areas until we're blue in the face. But we are unwise to ignore the clarity of of so many of the warnings that are in Scripture. It says so clearly... Thou shall not commit adultery. It is there. It is so crystal clear. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not lie in ways that are for your own selfish gain. You jump into the New Testament and Jesus says, treat people the way you would like to be treated. He says, love your enemies. Not just love your neighbors. Love your enemies. It's not a suggestion. And then there's a very disturbing section in Matthew chapter 25 where Jesus says that if we don't care for the poor and the prisoners and the widows and those who are less fortunate, that Jesus wants to have nothing to do with us. That is sobering. Read it. Matthew chapter 25. It's one of the most sobering, sobering chapters in the New Testament. Scripture lays down warnings for us and we are wise to pay attention to them. Another way that we can experience the warnings of God is through our conscience. It's it's that still, small voice as Marsh was reading from uh, the Donald Miller book. That there is this voice within us. And and for, for those of you who are not yet believers, not yet followers of Christ, again, thrilled that you're here on this journey with us, but that conscience, I believe, is the There's the still small voice of God wooing you into relationship with Him, wooing you into making decisions that are are wise for you and your family and and your life and those that you care about. For those of you who are believers, who say, I am a follower of Christ. I, 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 I am connecting my yoke with Christ. I am with Christ. For those of you who are a follower of Christ, that conscience is the Holy Spirit within you. That the Holy Spirit dwells within you and it is that voice that leads us towards repentance. There, there are warnings that come from that still small voice within us. It is those, those feelings, those senses. So many of you know what I'm talking about. And that feeling, that sense, it is not going to be a condemning 
feeling for you. The Holy Spirit does not condemn. That is not the role. That is the role of the enemy. So, uh, you know, Paul says in the New Testament, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That voice is not going to be a condemning voice. It's going to be a warning voice, a loving warning voice. And then the third way that we can hear the warnings from God is in community, is with other people. It's what we call doing life together. And it's about having enough depth of relationship with people that there are people in your life who can speak into things that they see. They can challenge, uh, uh, see things in your life that perhaps you can't see. There should be somebody in your life who knows everything in your journey. If there's some place that's dark or secret that is not a part of some community interaction, then it has power that you don't want it to have. That, that community is this place where there's, there's somebody who can speak into that. Now, this third one, community, this is the tricky one. Because the first one, Scripture. It is, it is the written Word of God. Conscience, that's between you and God. Community, this is the weird one. This is the tricky one. Because it involves people. And it involves Christian people so often. And, and, and the, the issue is that there is a fine line between a godly warning and judgmentalism. And I want to be so crystal clear about this because the word, even the word judgmentalism, it makes me feel icky. It makes me want to have a shower. I, I hate the concept of judgmentalism. And, and, and let me just tell you, if you don't, if you're comfortable with that word, if you're comfortable with the whole idea of, of you know, you have a calling to be judgmental, you really, you, you really don't belong here. That, that's not something I normally say. We say this is a place where you can come, whatever your beliefs are, and we are uh, in this journey together, and you don't have to agree with everything I say. Come as you are, come as you are, unless you're judgmental. You're not welcome here. The judgmental piece, it is just, it, it is just such a destructive, a destructive piece. I love what... Well, wait a minute. Judgmentalism is when we throw warnings, we toss out warnings without relationship. And we say, you need to stop that. Warnings, 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 relationship without the follow-up, without the, the belief or the assumption or the underlying love and respect that happens, that flows out of that. Judgmentalism launches out warnings without relationship. And that has no place in the body of Christ. I love what, what Paul says in the New Testament, in Ephesians chapter 4, he says, as, as he's talking about how we interact with one another, that we are to speak the truth in love. I love that phrase. I love that phrase. Speak the truth in love. Yeah, there are times to go after it, to go for it. We do it in love. We don't speak warnings or speak truth into other people's lives because we, have, we are bold enough to do so. We do it because we love enough to do so. There is a huge difference in there. Please don't hide behind righteousness and toss out warnings to other people without the love. Speak the truth in love. Now, I have such disdain for judgmentalism that, uh, that there can be a tendency to then not say anything. Okay, I, I don't want to be judgmental, so then I'm not going to say anything. Sort of like, if you can't warn anything nice, don't warn anything at all. Kind of a, kind of a deal on that. 
But there, there's danger in going that route as well. And there's a, there's a, there's a line that we've got to learn as, a, as, as followers of, of Christ. And the danger becomes so clear in uh, a few verses that I want to read from Ezekiel. Ezekiel is one of the other... Uh, I'm going to look at Ezekiel chapter 3. Ezekiel is one of the uh, major prophets. And the difference between major and a minor prophet is simply length, is simply uh, size. Uh, major prophets are just longer writings, and then the minor prophets are just uh, shorter writings. That's it. That's, that's the only difference. It's not like the major leagues kind of thing. But uh, Ezekiel chapter 3 is a fierce warning for those who have the opportunity in loving community to speak into other people's lives. Now, I beg of you not to use this as a weapon, anybody. Seriously, seriously, because this can drift into judgmentalism. But hear these words from Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 18. Ezekiel is one of the pre-exile prophets. He writes in verse 18, When I say to a wicked man, this is, this is, the word, this is God saying, When God says to a wicked man, You will surely die. And you, Ezekiel, and you do not warn him or speak out to dissuade him from his evil ways in order to save his life. That wicked man will die for his sin, and I will hold you accountable for his blood. But if you do warn the wicked man and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his evil ways, he will die for his sin, but you will have saved yourself. Again, this is not permission to just go ahead and lash out for people. This is a, a challenge for us to speak the truth in love. This is a challenge for those that we care about to speak the truth into their lives. I love it when I'm in a relationship with people saying, Alan, I give you permission to speak into my life. What, a, what an uplifting relationship those are. And, and if you... if you are receiving warnings. Maybe you're a new believer and you're kind of hearing, here's what you ought to do, do this, do that. Well, you've got the Scripture thing, read it. You've got the, the Holy Spirit conscience thing. You'll learn more about the voice of God. When it comes to, to community and people speaking into your lives, you've got to do this, you've got to do this, you've got to do this, stop chewing, stop smoking, whatever the thing is people are telling you to do, your filter can be, is this being spoken in love? Your filter can be, is someone speaking the truth in love? If not you can just let it go. Water off a duck's back. If someone is, in, is in speaking the truth to you in love, then it is in your best interest to pay attention. And maybe it's the time, maybe the Holy Spirit will confirm that that's the time for you to look into that area. Maybe not. But I highly recommend paying attention. So what happened with the Israelites is they didn't pay attention. They didn't heed these warnings and the Israelites were, were getting so overly confident. And these prophets were saying, were saying, warning, warning. God was warning them through these prophets over and over again, over and over again. And they continued to worship other gods. And they struggled and struggled and struggled. And it went toward the exile peace. So as we look at the story of, of the Israelites and what their journey was, I want to I look at an example in the book of Micah of what exactly God was warning them about. It's one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament. Now, Micah is, is, is one of the minor prophets. And at the end of the Old Testament, there are 12 minor prophets. Micah is number 
six of those 12, if you're looking for Micah in your Bible. So it's going to be about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. If you got a Bible from us in the lobby, it's page 635. Kind of a quick, quick jump to it. Uh, if you have this exact Bible, uh, it's 725, but that's completely irrelevant information. Okay, somewhere around there. <clears throat> it's going to be uh, between pages 12 and 3,000 uh, in, in your Bible. If, look up Micah. So Micah is one of the pre-exile prophets, and he is speaking in between the fall of the north and the, the fall of the, of the south. And he is addressing the direction that the Israelites are heading, and he is saying, okay, something needs to happen. What is it? What is it that God wants to say to the people? What can we do in order to change this? What can we do to turn this around? Chapter 6, Micah chapter 6, verse 6. Micah says, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Again, and wh- how can, what can we do about this? What can we do about this? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be blessed with thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? These are rhetorical questions. The answer is no. And then he says in verse 8, He has showed you Oh man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That verse is is one to underline. That verse is one to to let sink in. Micah 6, 8. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. Act justly is is about... the truth. It's about what is right. It's about being honest, whether in the good days or the bad days, in success, in failure. It's about having integrity, even when nobody's watching. Acting justly is about not living a lie. It's about coming clean with our boss about what's going on, coming clean with our spouse, with our kids, with our parents. It's about, it's about making right and just decisions that are in line with the warnings of God, with the things that we know to be true, things that we know to be right. Act justly. Love mercy is about what we call extending beyond yourself. It's the acknowledgement that whatever is happening in your soul, whatever transformation is happening, it doesn't stop with you. Love mercy is about extending beyond yourself and loving others. Love mercy is about sacrifice. It is about sacrificing some of your finances, some of your time, some of your resources for the, for the help of, of others. These words are written by prophets and, and uh, uh, Micah was, was, uh, was a prophet. Prophets are so intense we read it and their, their language and their world experience had to be so intense. They had to have been rarely invited to parties, I think, prophets. Just so intense because they were representing God and God was so struggling with how people were treating others and, and the lack of mercy that was being shown to, to the poor, etc. That's why we have to go to Honduras. That's why we have to go to Rocky Point. That's why Doug was transformed by this experience. And anybody who who makes the sacrifice of doing one of these trips understands 
more of the heart of God with regard to love, mercy. It is not about your happiness. And then the third one is walk humbly. And this is a warning against pride. Pride is at the root, I believe, of every interpersonal struggle. Every interpersonal tension. Pride is at the root of that. Pride is the thing that when we enter into it, it either destroys us or it makes us arrogant. Pride is the thing that is a huge warning and a challenge for those of you who are successful that you would not in any area of your life start to believe that you are better than others, that you have more value in the sight of God than others. It'll hurt your soul. It'll hurt your heart. It's been said that um, the one who becomes too big for his britches will be exposed in the end. <laughs> sort of pride thing. There's a pride thing in that. So Micah 6, 8 is this beautiful one verse that says, act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. Imagine a world where we did just those three things. This was written so many centuries ago. Imagine a world where we just embraced those three beautiful, amazing things. Now let me wrap up with, with one, I want to look at one more pre-exile prophet. And his name is Nahum. And you can turn one page and you'll probably find him. It's right after Micah. And perhaps you've never heard of, of Nahum. But these prophets, we need to pay attention to them. They, they consist of about a fifth of our Bible. It's such a significant part of the, of the, the story that God has given us. And besides, we don't want to get to heaven and have Nahum come up to us and say, what do you think of my book? And then we're saying, oh, and you are. I mean, Nahum, uh, he's one of the pre-exalt uh, prophets, chapter 1, verse 3. He says, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power, but the Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. There is this right next to each other. Keep in mind who it is that is our God. Jump to verse 7. The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in Him, but with an overwhelming flood, He will make an end of Nineveh. He will pursue His foes into darkness. God is loving and kind and just, but don't mess with Him. Don't conclude that He is so loving that He will not follow through on the consequences of sin. A number of years ago, I read a book that I, I will never, I'll never forget. And the title of the book is God is No Fool. The book is out of print. I would have listed it as a, as a recommended reading in your, in your sheet, but they don't make it anymore. God is No Fool. He is a loving, compassionate, kind Father, but He warns us, and we can disagree with the warning all we want. We can say, I just don't agree with that. I don't think that's right. I don't feel like that's right. Even though Scripture says this, I don't feel like that's appropriate. I want to live life the way I want to live. That's fine, but 
We can't sneak out of the consequences of sin. God is no fool. He's not going to be tricked by our own preferences and desires. God is forgiving. He will forgive you over and over and over again. That's why we sing about His amazing grace. But the, the reason I had you stand and do this whole thing is that there are times when we need to be reminded that He lays down some warnings for us in terms of how to do life. They're not threats. They're warnings, and warnings are a good thing. But God is no fool. And here this morning, uh, I know this isn't the happiest kind of message to hear. <laughs> I, I know that. But you, you need to understand, I need to remind you again, my job is not to please you. My job is not to please you. My job is to challenge and inspire and encourage and warn in ways that are consistent with the character of Jesus Christ. That's, that's my job. If I step out of that, then I, am, then, then I need to pay attention to the warnings of God. So may you hear today that there are places in all of our lives, mine included, where I need to be, to be attentive to the warnings of God. And remember, He is loving and just, but He is no fool. He says to the, to the woman who was caught in adultery, He says, who's going to throw the first stone at this woman? And they all drop their stones and walk away. And then He goes up to that woman and says, I, I, I don't condemn you. And then He says, now go and sin no more. The grace and the mercy is there, but, but the warning is there too. It's truth and grace. There, the, we, we love the grace message. We love that. It is so beautiful. But we also need to hear the warnings sometimes. And I love you guys enough to say it. I really do. So consider yourself warned. Okay, let me pray. Let me pray as we close. Father, I, I am thankful that your grace and your mercy is here and that if there is any challenge or, or, or uh, uh, warning that is, that is heavy on hearts in anywhere in this room, God, I pray that it is not from me. Father, because there are so many in this room that I don't personally have relationship with. But if they're followers of you, then they have relationship with you. And so, God, I pray that it is your Holy Spirit that comes and moves and speaks. May it not be my words. May it not be my warnings, God. May it be your voice speaking into the hearts and minds here that there are places in our lives where we have ignored the warnings long enough. And, God, I pray that before we get to the exile experience, that we would hear the warnings and make the change. That we would make the courageous move of transformation to stop those relationships. To stop those dark activities. To ask for help to get them out in the open to shed light on these areas. God, may we heed the warnings that you have for us. Father, only you know all that is happening in the hearts and minds here in this room. So God, come. Come, in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.